Job chapter 6. That's right. A month ago, I began a study on the science of problem solving. Uh, I haven't preached here in a month. This is a little different than usual. I preach here more often, usually. But in any case, that's how it's gone this time. Now, we've been looking at the problem of problem solving. Now, we saw back then that the solution to our problems is in the problem itself. And I just want to take a minute to review that, if I can, just a little bit. I illustrated it this way. I used to live in British Columbia in the Fraser Canyon. And in the Fraser Canyon, as would be in any canyon, there's a great river there called the Fraser River. And it's a major river. It's a problem river. And we had friends on the other side of the river. Now, we could find the bridge to go see our friends, but they lived only 20 miles away. And if we found the bridge, it was 60 miles away. And so there they were living across the river and we couldn't get our, find our way to them unless we traveled 60 miles. The river was a problem. But somebody decided that they would harness the problem to solve the problem. And so I told you the story, remember? They put a cable across the river. They tied a barge to it with pulleys that would go up and down on this cable. And they put a paddle at both ends of this barge. So a car would come, they would tie the barge to the side of the river, a car would come, drive on it, and then they'd untie it and put a paddle in in the river. When they put the paddle in, the current would take it, swing the barge around, and the current from behind would push, push the barge over to the other side. At the other end, they'd put the paddle in on the other end of the barge, it would swing the barge around to the other way, and the current would take it to the other side. And so they took the problem and they solved the problem with the problem. And so we saw in Psalm 77, verse 19, the way, thy way, talking of the Lord now, thy way is in the sea. Was the sea ever a big problem to the Israelites? Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> the Egyptians were chasing after the Israelites. The Israelites were led by a cloud, and the cloud led them between two mountains right to the Red Sea. And there they were, caught between the Red Sea and a hard place, right? And the, the sea became a huge problem. Now, what, did, what was it that solved the problem? The sea did. Sure. Yes. Yesterday, I was speaking with our livestock guests, and I quoted a little phrase or a sentence from Mount of Blessing, page 61. That which you look upon as disaster is the door to highest benefits. What is the door? Well, it's the disaster. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me. Anyways, I finished last week, uh, last month, uh, the sermon with this quotation from Christ's Object Lessons 332. Opposing circumstances should create a firm determination in the right direction. And circumstances, that's opposing circumstances now, will be your helpers and not your hindrances. What kind of circumstances will be our helpers? Opposing circumstances. Was the sea a helper or a hindrance? To the children of Israel. It was a helper. That's right. Well, anyways, we're, we're studying how to solve problems. And the Lord has given us a science in it. And this is what we want to continue. By the way, um, I was working on this last night and, and worked on this this morning also. And it's amazing how often a sermon will have a mind of itself. Now, I thought I knew where I was going. <laughs> but anyway, the Lord had other plans. And so, uh, I'm hoping... This will make sense this morning. Uh, I have preached on this before, and so we probably are good, if I only preach once a month, to preach on this subject for about a year. 
So we'll see what happens. You're in Job chapter 6 now. And we're going to look at uh, what poor old Job had to say. Seems like he had problems. Verse 2. Job 6 verse 2. Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamities or calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. And then in verse 8, Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Wow. <laughs> Did you ever pray a prayer like that? Uh, no. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> really. <laughs> Have you ever talked that way? I mean, why was Job talking that way? Because he was overwhelmed. I'd never had kind of problems that he's had, not to the extent that he's had them. And so here he is. He's a man. The Bible or the, 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 the book starts by saying, God is saying to Satan, have you, have you considered Job that he's perfect and he's upright? And then the Lord is turning around and this man has done what's right in the sight of the Lord. And he ends up with more problems than anyone has ever had. And it's, it's become overwhelming for him. He's totally discouraged. Have you ever felt at least to some degree that way? Would you have had some advice for Job? What do you think? Did he have friends that had advice for him? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't what Job wanted to hear though, was it? No. So God comes along finally and decides that he's going to settle the situation. Now, it's a fairly long book, the book of Job, 42 chapters at least. And there's a lot of arguments going on between Job and his friends. But finally, God, after he lets them all exhaust their, their wisdom, whatever it was, God comes along and he settles the whole thing. Did God say, hey, your buddies say that this is the problem and you say, no, that this is the problem. Did God say, no, this is it. And that settles the question. End of argument. Is that what God did? No, no. Did God explain to Job about Satan's challenge? No. Did God explain to Job why the wicked prosper and why the righteous suffer? No. Did God promise that he would have compensation for all the troubles that he was going through? No. So what did he do? <laughs> do you know what God did? All he did was reveal himself. And that was very easy for him. He asked Job a few pointed questions. Questions that Job could not answer. And somehow by the Spirit of God, he got through to Job's brain. Now, go with me to Job um, 42. That's the last chapter in the book of Job. And we want to hear Job's reaction to this. God revealing himself to him. Not answering any of Job's questions, really. Not telling him why this has happened at all. But watch. We're in Job chapter 42. And looking at verse 5, Job says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye sees thee. Have you heard of God? Well, I guess there isn't anyone in the world that hasn't heard of God. We all have heard of God. Apparently, it's not enough, is it? 
Job had heard of God. As a matter of fact, he'd heard so well. Faith cometh by hearing, you know, and hearing by the word of God. That's what the Bible says. And, and Job was a man of faith. And so he would read the scriptures if there was scriptures in his day. Whatever it was, he knew what it took because he had great faith. He was a man of God. He was perfect and he was upright in the sight of God. And all that he could say after it was all done, he said, I have heard of God. And it wasn't enough. God comes along and he reveals himself to Job so that Job says, mine eye has seen him. Now watch what happens if you happen to ever put your eye upon God. Verse 6. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if I'd like to see God. It sounds pretty hard. (laughs) You know, it happened to Isaiah too in chapter 6, and I'm not going to go there. But Isaiah was a priest of God and he was working in the temple always. And he thought that he was a good man and he was a good man, right? But one day God appeared to him in the temple and he just saw himself the way he was by comparison and he was just left mush. I mean, there wasn't anything left. I'm a man of unclean lips amidst the people of unclean lips. Right? And then God said, well, who will I send? And Isaiah could say, send me. Here I am. Send me. Something happens to us when we see God. And friends, I would like to suggest to you this morning that this is the solution to our problems. Job saw God and it left him perfectly repentant. It left him perfectly humble. And when a person is truly humble, he becomes more and more receptive, more and more receptive of God's teachings, more and more receptive of God's gifts. And so if you look at verse 12 in uh, chapter 42, it says, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning." That's what I'd like. I don't know if I'd like to go through the process, but I'd like to have the latter end of Job. It was greater than his beginnings, wouldn't you? Yeah, he had problems, but were his problems solved? Yeah, yeah. They were solved. This is what we need. I believe we need that with all of our hearts. If we want to know how to solve problems, we're going to have to be truly receptive to the solutions that God has. God has the solutions. We know that, don't we? Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will what? I will deliver you. That's Psalms 50, verse 15. Then it says, and you will glorify me. And we will. We will. If we ever get ourselves into the kind of trouble some people get themselves in and we can call upon the Lord, He will deliver us. If we are receptive to the methods that he wants to use. You know, I think there are people who call upon the Lord, but when the Lord gives them the solution, they don't want it. That's not the solution they wanted. Right? Yeah. Our scripture reading this morning was John fourteen twenty six. We don't have to go there, but Jesus said, I am going to send you the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, right? And he will what? He will teach you all things. But friends, God can't teach us all things. All things, As a matter of fact, He can't teach us anything unless we are receptive to His teachings. And until we are made humble, we will not be as receptive as we should be. God is the teacher. Life is the school. And trials and obstacles and problems are His chosen methods of success. We've read that before. And a receptive faith lays hold on the solutions that God 
designs to give us. And this is what we need. And this is where we're going to go from here now. Go to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. And we look at verse 11. The first part. By the way, it's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem symbolically in the Bible represents the church. So we can see that this is talking about God's church. We're in Isaiah 54 verse 11. It says there, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted. (laughs) Wow. What's wrong with Jerusalem? What's wrong with the church? In its earthly experience? It's afflicted. It's tossed. It's not comforted. It's overwhelmed with problems, right? But do you know that it isn't always going to be that way? We're promised in the Bible that a man that is born of a woman, right, is full of problems like the sparks fly upward. And so life in this world is problematic. (laughs) From the day that we are born till the day we die, every day of our lives we have problems. But that's not the issue. The issue is not do we have problems, but how do we relate to the problems we have. And so we have it pictured right here that the church down here in its earthly experience is tossed, it's afflicted, it's overwhelmed with problems. But the thing goes on to say that the church has a beautiful future. Is it because or is it in spite of the problems? No, no. Friends, it's going to be because of the problems. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, and you don't have to go there. I think you know this one by heart. It says there that God is a consuming fire. What does God as a consuming fire consume? What is it? Sin. That's in the business he's in. You shall call his name Jesus for he shall save you from your sins, right? And so he comes as a consuming fire and he begins to purify to himself a people by fire. By trials, by obstacles, by problems. Well, who's going to tell you that this is going to be a painless operation? It's not going to be a painless operation. So now, according to the passage here, if I'm at the right place, what will the Lord be doing in heaven? Or did I read it? I didn't read it yet. Let's go go back. We're in Isaiah 54. In verse 11, O thou afflicted and tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncle and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. Hmm. Did you notice here, according to this passage, what the Lord will be doing in heaven? What's He going to be doing? He's going to be teaching. So, if He's teaching in heaven, what are we going to be doing? Going to school. <laughs> now, it's not so bad when you're in my age, but I'll tell you, if you're a teenager, you might think, oh, no. <laughs> Who wants to go to heaven anyway, right? We're going back to school. Well, that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. God is going to be teaching in heaven. Obviously, then, we're still going to be learning in heaven. And we're going to be learning for for eternity. It's amazing. But if you think of that, how big God is. Well, it's going to be amazing how big we'll become. (laughs) If we can learn for eternity and keep grasping what he's trying to teach us. But friends, we've got to know this thing here. Before we can go on to the high school in the heaven above, we're going to need to complete the preparatory course 
in this world below. Don't you think so? How many people do you know have gotten into college never having finished elementary school? Do you know any? Why no? We progress step by step. Elementary, primary school, and to high school or middle school and high school and then college and then university. And it's the same thing in the Lord's program. We're logical thinkers today because God has made logical universe. Right? That's right. Now Jesus used this verse in Isaiah 54.11 in John chapter 6. So let's go to John chapter 6 and see the use that Jesus has made of this verse in Isaiah 54. John chapter 6. And we look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets, um, specifically in Isaiah 54, verse 11 and on. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Wow. Who's going to be the teacher? God. And what is the teacher's burden? Look at the rest of the verse. And they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard has been receptive, has received what God is teaching and has learned of the Father, comes to me. Do you see God's burden? Do you see it? What is God's burden? To bring us to Christ. That's what it says there. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the rescuer. He's the succorer. Jesus is the great problem solver. And it is all wrapped up in the context of education. God is teaching us to live. Isn't it true? That's what life is all about. Go to Christ's object. No, excuse me. Colossians. Go to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And we look at verse 3. Talking about Jesus. It says, in whom or in him or in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ? All. All. Well, now, if this is true, where then do you plan to go to school? Who do you plan to have as a teacher? What do you think? Well, wouldn't it make any sense to you? If you know where all the knowledge is and all the wisdom is, where are you going to go to get it? Now, it's important in this world for a lot of us that we go to school and get knowledge and we get wisdom, right? Now, we come to the Bible and there's one simple little verse here and it says what? All the wisdom and all the knowledge is centered in one individual. So why don't we go there to school instead of going to Cambridge University or Oxford or Harvard or Yale or whatever? Why? What do you think? Well, there is a reason, by the way. In a little book called Great Controversy 606, it says the the, um, laborers, talking about the last days now, the laborers will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions. Now, wait a minute. Is there something wrong with literary institutions? There can be. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is no. Friends, God has ordained literary institutions. And I can prove it to you. I have quotations to prove it to you. But do you know what the problem is? Literary institutions can only supply the exterior education. That's what they can supply. And we can go to the university and we can become doctors and scientists and lawyers and politicians and merchants 
and mechanics, and it's all fine and good. And after you've gone to school and you come out of school, you are a doctor and you are a lawyer and you are a mechanic or whatever it is that you've taken. The problem is that school cannot supply the power. You know that? That school cannot supply the power of love, the power of wisdom, of integrity, of honesty, of faith and hope. And all of these things that going to Christ will supply in our hearts. If you had a choice between two schools, which one would you take? You know, if you could become an honest individual, a a spiritual individual, an individual that has the love of God in her. Do you know that the Bible says that love never faileth? How would you like never to fail? (laughs) What do you think? So which school would you take? Well, that's an unfair question. Because we don't have to choose between the two. We can get an exterior education and we can get an interior education, right? And we can balance the two. There's much more power in a true Christian lawyer than there is in just a true Christian who's not a lawyer. It seems to me. Unless he's something else. Of course, I'm not saying that lawyers are everything. There's a lot of power in a Christian healer. But there's a lot more power if the Christian healer, of course, goes to school and gains more knowledge. But I tell you what, there is no power in a doctor that has no Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There are people in this world who are educated in the best schools, whose ambitions have got them to the highest position in the land, but they still don't know how to treat their wives, how to treat their children, how to treat their, neighbor, their neighbors, or how to truly succeed in life. You know, I, and I don't want to point out any individuals. I saw a documentary not very long ago, well, two, three years ago. I was in a motel, turned on the television, and went to Discovery Channel, or whatever it was. And there was a documentary of one of the most intelligent men that we've seen in the 20th century, And they were showing his whole life and how successful he was. But, you know, he had two wives and they just couldn't stay with him. He did not have any social skills at all, (laughs) apparently. You know, and his children would have nothing to do with him. So he had a great education, right? Which one would you prefer? Which one would you prefer? Do you know how to succeed in life truly? Let's go on and find out what we can do. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15. I want you to look at the first word in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15. What's the first word? Study. Study. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, it can mean different things, I suppose, to different people. But I went to the Greek this morning to see what, how this word was actually translated from in the Greek. And it said, make an effort or be earnest, be diligently, diligent, labor, strive. The picture here is of someone applying themselves with an earnestness and a tenacity that would not be denied. And so this is what the Lord tells us to do. I want you to study. We're in school. Life is a school. God is the teacher. Okay. You want to succeed, you want to improve, you want to become more like Christ, you want to have power, you want to be a servant and you want to have power in your servitude, study. That's what it says. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Wouldn't we all like to be workmen for God? Wouldn't we like to be workmen that need not be ashamed? (laughs) So what are we supposed to do? Study. Apply ourselves. In a little book called Education, and I need my glasses. It's on page uh, 232, paragraph 3. It says, Every youth should be taught the necessity and the power of application. Upon this, far more than upon genius or talent, does success depend. Without application, the most brilliant talent will avail little, while with rightly directed efforts, persons of very ordinary natural abilities have accomplished wonders, and genius at whose achievements we wonder and marvel is almost invariably united with untiring, concentrated effort. We need to apply ourselves. That's what we need. Because there's power in the power of application. I'm just struggling in my heart whether to tell you a story or not. Um, And I don't know if I've told it here or not before. I built a house when I was 20 years old. But I didn't finish the house when I was 20 years old. I got married. My wife and I moved into it and there was nothing finished. But we were young and we, we could camp in the shell. And we did. And we finished it little by little. It took us five years to finish the whole house just as money would come in. So, hey, the house, the house really was worth everything to us because we didn't borrow against it. Very little anyway. Anyhow, it came to the time when I had gathered enough money that I could have all this material to finish the bathroom in our house. Now, I'm not a carpenter. I'm far from it. If anything, I'm not really a practical individual. My wife is far more practical than I. But anyways, I can struggle through stuff. I can manage some things. And so I had all this material. And because I didn't have a lot of money and I only had so much material, I was very, very careful with, you know, I measured twice. I did not just measure once. (laughs) I made sure with every cut how careful I was. And so I finished the whole bathroom. My mother-in-law comes to visit one day. And she goes to the bathroom. She didn't know I had finished. She went to the bathroom and she came out saying, Whoa, who did you get to finish your bathroom? (laughs) Well, I did. (laughs) She says, Wow, you did a great job. Hey, listen, I need somebody to finish my porch. You want to come and finish my porch for me? Oh, yeah, piece of cake. Somebody said I use that um, too often, especially when we're fasting. (laughs) So anyway, okay. I said, hey, no problem. I can go and finish your your porch. You know, I'm good at this already. (laughs) You know, in my bathroom, I had applied myself. In her porch, I thought, hey, this was so easy. I can do this, no problem. And so I would measure, cut, measure, cut, measure, cut, bang, 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 put it all on, finished. And I looked at it and I said, you know, (laughs) I didn't do so well in her porch. And you know what? She never asked me again (laughs) to finish anything in her house. (laughs) Yeah, it's the power of application. There's power in it when we apply ourselves to it, when we want to do a perfect job. Do you always want to do a perfect job or can you are you able to say, ah, this is good enough. This this is just for so and so and we'll slap it together. Friends, I believe with all my heart that the Lord would have us do excellent work all the time. Do you know why? Because it reflects on our characters. If we're going to do a sloppy job there, we're going to do a sloppy job right here. Right here. I grew up, as you all know, in a Roman Catholic home in a French-Canadian village northern 
Ontario in Canada. And I had to go to school like everyone else has to go to school. So I was in school by the time I was five years old. And I didn't like school any more than most of the young people in school. I got the strap every year, <laughs> all the time. Seems like I was always in trouble. Well, anyway, that's how it was in those days. I floated in school. I passed from grade to grade. and It was always amazing to me because I never failed a grade until I hit grade nine, which I thought was quite remarkable. But I just floated. In those days, we had a percentage. We had to hit 60% in order to pass. You know, my grades growing up all those years was 60, 61, 62, occasional 63. I remember one time I got a 67. Whoa, and I haven't forgotten. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> well, actually, another time, that was grade 9 the second time I got 73. Well, you can imagine why. It's the second year <laughs> in the thing. That's the kind of character I was. And you know, when I thought of salvation, I related to it in much the same way. I passed catechism like I passed everything else without much application. Therefore, I was getting ready for heaven, right? What do you think? Was I getting ready for heaven? No. No. Jesus said, I want you to strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive as in agony. You've got to make an effort. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into this legalism as opposed to uh, not legalism. When Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate, we've got to realize that the straight, gate, the straight gate is Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying, strive to keep all the commandments so you can get into heaven. He was saying, hey, there's only one way into heaven. Jesus is the way. And if you're going to focus your life, if you're going to focus your energies and your efforts, focus them on entering into God's rest. Entering into God's salvation. He's provided it for you. And how hard it is for us to give up our powers, our, our own righteousness, our own efforts. And to cast ourselves into the salvation that Jesus has provided. Nevertheless, the verse says, strive as in agony. Make an effort. Making an effort is part of God's program, friends. We can't just slink around and we're not going to slink into heaven. We are not going to. There is an effort that needs to be placed. This is how God works. Do you know that Jesus, God, presents himself in the Bible as an educator? He never presents himself as a surgeon. Did you know that? Now, he presents himself in the Bible as a healer, but he never presents himself as a surgeon. And even when he presents himself as a healer, he's always a teaching healer. Did you notice? We don't just give ourselves into God's hands and he puts us asleep on the table, performs an operation. We wear, wake up and everything's all done and all the wrongs are righted. That's not the way it's done. God has given us intelligence and he prefers to work through our intelligent choices. Not only should we, we be willing to be like God, but at each step and on each point, we must choose to be like God on that point and on that step. He wants us to study, to make an effort, to be earnest, to be diligent, to strive as an agony until we come to see his will, think his thoughts and act as he would act. In volume seven of the testimonies to the churches, page 281, paragraph 2, it says this. Seek the Lord most earnestly that you may become more and more refined, 
more spiritually cultured, then you will have the very best diploma that anyone can have, the endorsement of God. Would you like to have a diploma? People love to have diplomas, don't they? Degrees and, and nice little plaques that we can put on our walls and we are able to go and apply for a job and we can give them our curriculum vitae, whatever you call it, right? And we can point to all the degrees and all the qualifications we have. But I tell you, friends, the very best endorsement that we can have is a diploma from heaven. When in earnestness we've accepted Jesus as our teacher. Now, I'm done. We're almost finished now. <laughs> What's all this got to do with problem solving? Our education, as we've already seen this morning, is two-pronged. We can have an exterior education given by literary institutions. Not wrong. Not wrong. We can have an interior education given by God through His Holy Word. One supplies the skills, the other supplies the power. If you could have only one, which one, which one would you choose? If you could have both, which one would you place first? You know, that's really, it's quite a question. Because there are many people, many young people growing up in the church, right? In our church. And they have before them the whole world and all their future. And everyone is pushing our children towards getting an education, get an education, get an education. What are they pushing toward? Is it the interior or the exterior education? Which one should be first? Shouldn't our children be strengthened internally before we send them to college and uni university? How many do we lose out there because of the glitter that somehow gets them and they walk away from the church because the world has so much to offer and now they're qualified to become rich or to become famous or to become powerful or whatever? Which of the two will lead you to trust yourself more? Which of the two will lead you to trust your God more. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, you know it by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And I've always asked, every time I, I, I recite this verse, I always ask, what would it be like if we acknowledged God in all his ways and in, in all our ways and in all our ways he directed our path. What would it be like? How many mistakes would we make? We wouldn't make any. <laughs> How many problems could we solve? Yeah, yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we want. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.